Oh, hey, real quick. I wanted to tell you what Matthew in Pennsylvania wrote. I had a great experience at SaveWithConrad.com. I worked with Derek and he quickly answered any questions I had. Being able to text him directly made things so much easier than having to wait on phone calls or schedule meetings at the bank. Being able to do everything from home was extremely convenient. I was in a tough spot with the pandemic going on, but it looks like everything is going to work out for me just in time. I would definitely recommend Conrad and his team to anyone looking for mortgage help. How can we help you? You don't need perfect credit. You don't need money out of your pocket, but you do need 10 minutes at savewithconrad.com. NMLS number 65084, equal housing lender. We're licensed in more than 40 states, and you even get to skip your next two house payments at savewithconrad.com. Hey, hey, it's Conrad Thompson, and you're listening to Dark Side of the Podcast. And of course, we couldn't do it. And of course, we couldn't do it without the creators of this wonderful series, Evan and Jason. Evan, how are you, man? I'm doing good. Trying to make sure this throat is clear for today, but um, <laughs> we'll see. We'll see how it goes. And Jason, we have uh, a new man in our show today. Uh, he's we coming do. back. I'm excited about it. Tell us who's joining us and, and why we're excited to have him with us. Yeah, we have Howard Sheffman here with us, who's a, a producer on the show. He's been part of the team since the very beginning. You may remember him on our podcast about the Herb Abrams story, but Howard's a very integral part to Dark Side of the Ring. He's, you know, just he's a huge part of our team. And yeah, it's always amazing to have him on. Here. Yeah, he's the Mr. Fuji of, uh, of the Dark Side <laughs> team. Uh, he keeps us together. And uh, yeah, he literally became Herb Abrams. Um, in order to mastermind the Herb Abrams episode. So thank you very much, Howard. No, th- thanks for having yeah. me. And if anyone wants to ever send me anything about Herb Abrams, I'm always looking for more information, always on the hunt, never will end. Yeah. Also in the reenactments of our show, Howard's played like maybe 30 <laughs> small characters here and there, or, or, you know, you, you're always, we always put you in as a referee as well. Yeah. In the ring. Well, this episode think- is my biggest episode. I'm, I'm seven different people in this ep- in, <laughs> <laughs> So eagle eyed viewers can look out for, I mean, I play the sheriff. I play two judges. I play a party goer with Jake. I play the referee uh, and a guy at the mall. So a lot of, <laughs> a lot of range. Anyone wants to hire me for acting gigs. I, I, I had oh, no idea God. that this was like nutty professor and, uh, or the <laughs> yeah. the clumps and, and you're all of the characters, but Hey, this was, uh, I'm glad we got the niceties and the fun out of the way up top because boys, this is the darkest dark side of the ring ever. Would you disagree with mm. that, Evan? I mean, it's hard to, you know, separate and, uh, figure out what's darker than, you know, the other, but I mean, it's definitely one of the heavier, you know, emotional experiences. Uh, I mean, definitely making it and, and watching it back and seeing the reaction last night. Um, I mean, it's, it's definitely up there. Um, and, and I mean, you know, that's why we wanted to, you know, include a disclaimer at the top of the show and, you know, th- this, th- this is, this is really delving into some really difficult subject matter. Definitely the most difficult subject matter I think we've ever covered on the show. Um, but yeah, yeah. Um, hard, hard stuff. So it feels like everybody watched last night. Uh, Jason, I even saw the rock throwing a little social media love your way. How about that? Yeah, that was great. Um, he had, uh, reached out, uh, a few days prior. Um, he had, he had seen the episode. He, he, you know, I think, uh, we, we try to send him the episodes when we can. And, uh, he saw it and was deeply affected by it. And he reached out after watching it and he said he wanted to, helped spread the news about this episode and thought the episode really had the power to help people 
who may be going some through some of the same things that the Smith family had gone through, and he felt that he could use his voice to help elevate it and you know spread that out there uh, more, and thought you know his his uh, following could it's something that they could be interested in and or, or, or learn from, and he. You know, he's still very in tune with the wrestling world. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, Jake was somebody who, you know, he probably he grew up around. And, um, yeah, he like he just wanted to be able to, you know, show support for that, that side of his life, too. Yeah, it's awesome. It was it was totally cool. Just, uh, you know, he, he's been, so, uh, you know, The Rock has been so supportive of our show since season one. Um, and I, I remember that just coming completely out of the blue, you know, one day, I think a first two episodes had hit and all of a sudden, you know, the rock has mentioned you on Twitter and I was like, what? And uh, I remember just looking at that and it was just so cool that he, 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 he was, uh, he just was wanting to put over our show from, for, you know, from the beginning. And, um, I think recognized how we handle and approach the stories, which was super cool. And then season two came around and he popped into, put over the Dr. D David Schultz episode, which was awesome. Um, and then, uh, yeah, so we've always kind of sent him the episodes as they've been finished. And, uh, th- this one for him really resonated. And this is the one that he really, yeah, he got in touch with us and, and just wanted to really, you know, help, help promote, which is, I mean, it's, it's amazing. Jason, how did this story become an episode? I mean, there's, I have to admit, we're all sort of the same age and I I don't think, I mean, obviously Jake, the snake is a huge part of our fandom and we're all big Jake fans, but Grizzly is not really somebody I ever even saw a match for. I mean, even to this day, uh, I probably most famously know him for being an an agent, whether with Watts or WCW, it's never his stuff sort of in front of the camera. And this story in particular, I'm just curious, Jason, how did this get on your radar? Yeah, well, we always, you know, we've, we're like you said, we're huge fans of of Jake, and we've always wanted to, you know, tell stories with him. He's always been a character within our stories, but we always, you know, thought it'd be great to like tell his story. And and we we're fans of all the other documentaries that have been made about him, and we've devoured those, and we never wanted to retread any of that information. And right. so it had been something that we've been like thinking about for a couple years. It's like, how can we tell his story and and it felt like something we were constantly learning about as the years went on as well too whether it would be meeting with jake and you know in you know in between questions he would let on about some information and actually i remember even the first time we met him um uh, evan if you recall we were at the sundance film festival i was mm. there with this movie i, I produced called turbo kid and right. we, uh, the resurrection of Jake the Snake Roberts was playing at Slam Dance just up the hill, and we yeah. were so excited. And we like, we got, <laughs> like a friend got us in to get like, uh, uh, to like, well, they were watching, they, they, they were watching the Royal Rumble. Like that's we, right. like the, they were there to promote the movie, you know, the uh, the resurrection of Jake the Snake, and then we got the Iggy that, you know, they're gonna be at their condo watching the Royal Rumble. That was uh, the pay per view. Was that you know? A couple days later, and we're, we got to get in. This is well before Dark Side of the Ring, and yeah. we're like, we got to get in on this. We got to do this. And I actually remember, like, we just, oh man, painful marks. We like put up, we like suited up in our Zubas to go out to hang out with with Jake Roberts. And the best part, I just got to tell this part. The best part is we have our Zubas on, and we're ready to go watch the Rumble with Jake, you know. And we and, and we got the invite, and we're, and we're walking in there, and um, Jake spots, you know, that these two guys wearing Zubas are rolling in. And he's just like, um, oh, man, 
I just took mine off five minutes ago, you know, <laughs> so like, <laughs> so like <clears throat> but it, it was, it was so amazing. Cause that was the first experience, uh, that Jason and I, sorry to hijack your story, but no, no. L- literally the, the, the first time Jason and I got to, uh, really hang with wrestlers, like, you know, just in a, in a casual setting and watching wrestling with them, like watching a modern day pay-per-view was so amazing because yeah. it was just like, you know, and, and Scott Hall was there too. And it was just awesome watching them being like, Oh, that sucked. That was shit. You know, that sucked. And it was just so cool. And then Jake got to just tell us these stories and he just told us these stories about his life and mm-hmm. his upbringing and, you know, and that just sort of amazing poetic sort of way that he does. And yeah. And then I think right, it was like that moment where you and I were just like, okay, oh. file this away for later. Like Jake is somebody yeah. we need to have in front of a camera of ours at some point in time. And um, just made a huge, huge, huge impact on us. Yeah. Talk to um, me a little bit about uh, how you got everybody together. Like I'm always fascinated with this process, Evan, about, you know, how you meet the kids, like the hardcores know, okay, there's, there's rock and Robin and, and there's Sam Houston and there's Jake Robbins. <clears throat> But now there's this other kid that Grizzly didn't raise that didn't get in the wrestling business. How, how do all those pieces come together, Evan? Well, let me, let me take a quick step back in terms of like, you know, how this episode even came to be with the Smith family and, and wanting to do that. It was, it's actually, it was pretty, pretty wild little origin story because, um, <clears throat> it was when, you know, so like Jason and I had only really known about Grizzly, and some of the, uh, you know, darker elements of Jake's upbringing from Beyond the Mat. You know, Beyond the Mat was such a huge part of our, uh, you know, we're huge Beyond the Mat fans, of course. And uh, <clears throat> um, I remember that it was during season one, we were finishing up the Gino Hernandez episode, you know. And for those who don't know, that was a, you know, it's one of our favorite episodes of the show. It has to do with uh, a wrestler who died under mysterious circumstances I'm sure most people listening to this show knows that. But, you know, for us, it was like uh, it was a pretty nerve wracking episode because we were talking to a lot of like former cocaine dealers off the record, like high level cocaine dealers off the record. And see, throat's not clear at all right now, boys. Sorry. Oh, my God. It's allergies. Um, Anyway, so, you know, it was really like high stress making this episode. I just, you know, cause we, our car was broken into, we were just like, you know, while we were filming the episode, it was, it was, it was crazy. And all of a sudden I get this phone call from Gino's daughter one day saying that this, this strange man has called and is trying to contact my family. And this is after they'd done the interviews with us and done the episode. And he said that he has information regarding my father's death and wants to get in touch with me and, you know, find out what we know and compare notes. And uh, it just sounded a little concerning slash fishy, you know, and uh, she was scared, you know, because this is the first time uh, uh, this is the first time that they'd ever really, um, you know, uh, ever opened up about the story. So who's this guy coming out of the woodworks asking questions? I was a little nervous because I was like, oh, my God, I hope this isn't some, you know, mafia uh, hired investigator, you know, trying to find out what we know about Gino's passing. Um, but anyway, so uh, so I, I kind of volunteered to check this guy out, you know. So I, I called this guy. He was a PI, a private investigator. 
And I called him and introduced myself and kind of was feeling him out. And he was telling me that he really wa- he's a wrestling fan, but he's also a private investigator by trade. And he really wanted to look into the Gino Hernandez story to see what he, you know, to solve this mysterious death. Just I'm sure he probably listened to your podcast with Bruce. Right. Uh, I'm sure that's exactly where this came from. The, the, the infamous Houston wrestling episode of something to wrestle with. But anyway, <clears throat> so I, um, called him and, uh, and, and was talking to him. And then he started to explain how he had looked into the disappearance of Joe Lynn Smith, which, you know, as we know from the episode last night, that was Jake's sister. And I remember that from beyond the map, but he was telling me all these theories of her being still alive. Okay, and I was like, whoa, that's crazy. And he believed that she was still alive. She wasn't dead. She wasn't murdered. You know, everything we know about this is wrong up to this point in time. And he's looked into it and researched it. And that stuck with me. And I checked him out and he was okay. He was harmless. He wasn't a mob hired, you know, (laughs) guy trying to, you know, find out where we live to come kill us. Um, And yeah, he he just uh, that stuck with me that there is a story here to tell about the Smith family and this kidnapping and everything. And with Grizzly, he talked about Grizzly being, uh, you know, potentially rumored to have been around in it. So, so I, I just filed that away. And then when it came down to season three, it was just like, do you think we could actually get all of the Smith family members on board to tell this story? Like Mike and, you know, uh, you know, Mike, AKA Sam Houston, Robin, Jake, and whomever to kind of come together, confront kind of their childhood, and then also talk about the disappearance of their sister. That was kind of the idea. And so I first reached out to, uh, to one of Jake's daughters, uh, Cody and talked to her about it. And she, she was basically like, you know, Jake loves you guys and would love to work with you guys, but wants to find kind of a different angle to tell his story. That's not the same that's been out there for so many years. So that's when I pitched, I called Jake, pitched him the idea of, you know, we want to do this. We want to go back to these, you know, this troubling time. And he was all about it. If it could be under the guise of helping people and trying to um, really be an inspirational, you know, in that way. And that's just kind of the genesis of it. And then he talked to his siblings whom he's not that close to today and uh, and then also how and Howard, I'm going to throw it to you because there was also another element at play as well. Yeah, well, uh, Howard Brody, who he's helped us before with certain things, and he wrote this book called Swimming with Piranhas about his experience as a promoter and all his crazy things he's come across. He, in that book, wrote for the first time about Robin. Like he kind of is the one who broke this whole thing. That's uh, right. About Robin having been abused by Grizzly and this horrific, horrific story. And he had talked to me about, and he's close with Robin. And so he had talked to me about doing this episode and he put me in touch with Robin and it was just, yeah, it's funny, the dominoes of it all, where I spoke with Robin, told us, told her what we want to do. And uh, she then connected me with, um, with baby doll, with Nicola. uh, And then Nicola helped me get to uh, Mike, who's a little, as you can all imagine, tricky to get in touch with sometimes. Um, but yeah, they all, and I think that everyone wanted the same thing that Jake wanted with like Robin's big thing. And she like wants to tell her story to help people. And that's like the most important thing for her to get that out there. And it, uh, we hope it did. And then Howard Brody, just for context, he also 
like what's his connection to the Herb Abrams story again? I mean, he he also so he promoted. Yeah. So he also helped me a bit with Herb and he, he's just yeah, really great guy. Um, but he promoted in Florida around the same time as Herb. And he he ran some re- women's wrestling uh, promotions. That's how he knows Robin. That's how he knew Luda Vachon and a bunch of other of those great women. And he, the best part about uh, about that, his uh, connection with Herb is that uh, he later found out that Herb had basically stolen his promotions footage and then was selling it overseas as part of UWF. So it's like episodes of UWF bookended by like someone saying like, next week we're going to be back with Dr. Death. But it's just like the, I can't remember what it's called, like the Women's, Wild Women's Wrestling Federation. But he also... Um, is the first person to have said that Herb uh, said the famous "Let's hear it for the Jews" line <laughs> at the back, uh, the blackjack brawl. So right, yeah, right, a lot of crossover there. But yeah, uh, Howard was instrumental in 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 in, in communicating with uh, with Robin yep. and uh, and and having her you know come on board and uh, and then just as you said you know uh, Howard Brody was the one that, yeah, really broke Robin's story for the first time. And I remember when we were researching this episode and, and watching, you know, some of her first interviews as well, because she had done interviews after that, too. And I was like, wow, this story is um, this is a massive story in terms of just like the family and the kidnapping and everything. I mean, I mean, it's, it's absolutely harrowing. Um, but, you know, the, there was a lot there that, you know, we were going to have to uh, navigate for this for this episode. So uh, there's a lot to unpack here. Um, tell me about meeting each of the kids and, and what that process was like as far as the actual shoot seven. Yeah. Um, well, uh, I guess the first one that comes to mind, what, you know, is Robin. I, I just remember we were driving down to, uh, we were in Louisiana in the RV as we've talked about this season, the uh, dark side RV. And we uh, pulled up to where we were shooting the interview, and uh, Robin was just so amazing. She was just so kind and amazing. She actually brought us like fruit platters. I remember that, like for the crew, <laughs> like she knew we had been driving across country, and she brought us these like fresh fruit platters, which was just like the nicest thing in the in the world. Um, and she was just amazing. I mean, just incredibly brave. There's something just like in the cadence of her voice yep. that is like comforting and 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 just like inspiring. And um, you know, and and yeah, and and you know, I mean, obviously we're having to navigate some very difficult waters with the with that interview and you know, just just took as much time as it needed to get it, but I mean, she was so open to us and trusting with us and just I mean, all around amazing. One thing, you know, that the dynamic between the siblings to this point in time is a little is you know semi fractured. Some of the relation like like Richard and Robin are very close to this day. I think right. Yep. That's yep. certain. Very close. That. Yep. <clears throat> Richard and Robin do spend time hanging out with each other, um, but Robin doesn't really have any relationship with Mike. You know Sam Houston. Um, and there was actually one part of the interview that actually made me smile, which didn't quite make the episode. Uh, <laughs> which is when she was talking about Mike, um, I was like, okay, let's talk about Mike, you know? And then she was digging in her purse and she was digging in her purse. She's like, hang on a second. I got to grab something. And she gets this <laughs> yellow handkerchief uh, that like kind of had like, I don't know, like, like, like some weight to it, you know, like something that was tied to it. Um, and she pulled it out of her purse and she's like, I was like, what's that? And she goes, this is my bullshit flag. 
And so anytime I'm going to ask her about something about Mike, she's just going to throw it on the ground and be like, that's bullshit. You know, like that. So, <clears throat> um, from what I gather in a nutshell, you know, Robin, you know, because Robin and Mike are full, you know, full brothers and sisters. And uh, I think there's been just a lot of, I mean, Howard, you might know more than me, but I think it was just like a lot of attempts at reconciliation, Robin helping Mike out with jobs and things go turning sour. And, you know, I think Mike in some ways is still kind of living his gimmick, you know, a little bit. Yeah. The, the thing that it really came across is that like we, we talk about and Jake talks about in the episode about how like, uh, like the difference between Jake and Aurelian and that, and, and like the challenges there, but like, it really is clear that everyone says it, that like Mike can't not be Sam Houston. And that's like really challenging for him. And I mean, Robin really put it in interesting way of like, like Robin's been out of the business much longer than she was in the business. So she's lived a regular life. And she, she right. told me how she can walk into her office and say hello to people and go about her day. But for someone like Mike to walk in an office and not have people cheering and clapping and like, throwing things at him that like he can't deal with that that is not something that he's able to like reconcile with of like not hearing the roar of the crowd and i uh mm-hmm. and it's very like she she's very level-headed about it all and like doesn't hold it against him per se but she understands that he yeah he just can't give up the gimmick of sam houston and that's been a challenge yeah and um and you know i think that there is you know part of you know robin's kind of come on the other side of, you know, um, I mean, obviously when we talk about addiction in the show, we talked about it with the Nick Gage episode. It's not like, you know, you're, 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 you know, magically not, not an addict anymore. It's always, it's a, it's a struggle every single day. But I think that the confronting of the traumas, there's definitely been that processing for Jake and and Robin, perhaps a little bit more so than Mike. And, and, and I think that there, you know, I think that's probably more of a work in progress. Um, in that regard the one interesting thing about robin too is you know she still has that women's belt you know i'm sure you caught that conrad um but uh, you know it, it was pretty interesting that she basically you know right around the time i mean maybe someone can correct me but right around the time she won that belt you know that and that was pretty much around the time i think women's wrestling was getting phased out uh in the wwf and she basically hit that pinnacle i mean that's kind of the ceiling for her at the time and she won it and then she just took it home and mounted it on her fireplace and that's where it's been ever since and she's like well i hit the top and i can i'm ready to walk away from this you know and the way she put it is that you know this was um you know she saw the opportunity with her father's connections to you know make money at that time and 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 to turn that into a career but it was never a lifestyle dedication uh as as far as i understood yeah yeah it was never gonna be the rest of her life yeah she wanted to she was like into theater and wanted to be like a an actress and work on broadway and then when she saw what was happening for like jake and and she saw like wwf was like making like cartoons and stuff like she was like man for like a struggling poor you know, Broadway actor, like that just seemed like such a better way to make money. And she also circumvented not having to train under Moolah, which is also another thing too. That's, you know, very, uh, you know, unconventional about how she got into the business. She was trained by Nelson Royal, also played by Howard Sheffman. Yes. I I forgot to mention that. The other other role I play is Nelson Royal. (laughs) Yeah. um, Uh, And, uh, 
NWA yeah. champion. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's like being John Malkovich with being Howard Sheffman. Um, <clears throat> but anyway, um, and so she circumvented that, and which is also really cool, too, just as a little yeah. sidebar note. Um, and then, of course, it, interviewing Jake, you know, you know, we didn't have him on season two, but we had him on season one, and it, he always was our favorite interview of season one just because, I mean, he's so good on camera. It's like it's it, it is like always very intimidating because it's like, you know, we grew up loving his promos and how amazing and poetic and they just he stares right through you and he stares right through that camera when he's doing those promos. And it's very similar experience because when we're filming, you know, we have this gimmick on the front of the camera that allows us to see them and uh, they look directly into the camera lens and they see us when we're doing the interview. It's just to, to, to keep it personal and to keep it, you know, whatever. Um to to have that effect and you know so he's looking right at you and it, it you know he he's a he's an amazing you know he's an amazing talker and he is you know like i said already before he's 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 poetic in in in, in his in his choice of words and um this experience was a difficult one for him it was one that i remember it was like every 20 minutes or so kind of reminded me of our kevin von eric interview where jake had to get up and kind of collect his thoughts and come back and you know this is i think probably the I don't think he's ever gone this far on this subject anywhere else, you know, um, as far as I know. And uh, yeah, it was a very emotionally draining day for him. And I know that he just after it was over, he just needed to, yeah, be be somewhere else for a little while. Um, But, you know, can't 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 thank him enough, you know, for trusting in us to do this, because I I remember him saying to me, you know, obviously he, he felt he feels burned by beyond the mat and some you know, and things like that, which is the only other time I think in this big of a setting that this, that story has been told that, you know, he was very trusting of us and he kept reminding us, you know, uh, of that. And, uh, and, uh, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm happy that, you know, he, he did trust us at the end of the day in order to tell the story. Jason, let's talk about beyond the mat here for a minute. Uh, I heard Evan mention it and you guys use a little bit of footage from it. That's really the first time I sort of put two and two together, you know, I guess what more than 20 years ago. Oh, that's Jake's dad. And that whole story about trying to make it was the, the beyond the mat footage and the piece on Jake, any sort of, uh, inspiration for you guys here. Yeah, definitely. Like that documentary was, is hugely influential to us, you know, when we were growing up and as that was one of the first times for us, we got to see this kind of, you know, behind the scenes, view of that of that world and and i remember um when they talk about grizzly and you see like jake and his dad hanging out in their backyard just like picking at rocks and stuff and smoking cigarettes and 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 grizzly talks about jake in this way uh you know he tells him that he, he or he says that he was born out of love and and then jake mentions these things about how his sister was like kidnapped Mm-hmm. When he was young and they couldn't find her body and like, but it was all, it was kind of just like, there's a lot going on in that, that section with Jake. And so there's a couple, there's a, a few things that are just kind of brushed over really quickly. And that always was something that stood out to us. And yeah. whenever we would watch together, it, it'd be like, man, what is that story? Like, I want to know more about that. Um, and so, yeah, like Evan was talking about earlier when it came time to, you know, find the angle for this story, that is what we really honed in on. Yeah, it was, it was like beyond the mat. And then plus this, when this private eye 
you know, had contacted the Gino's family and then, and then by way in which I contacted him, John Terry, is this James Terry? What's his name? He goes Jim Terry is what I, Jim Terry. Okay. So yeah, just so you know, whenever I've talking, whenever I've spoke to him, uh, he, he refers to himself as James Michael Terry. Okay. Okay. All right. James Michael Terry. Uh, uh, yeah. Three first names, uh, which is, is cool. Um, (laughs) James Michael Terry, yeah, when I when, when I spoke to him, he had told me all about this story about um uh about uh, about Joe Lynn, which I'm sure we'll get into in a little bit, but everything he had to tell me about it or everything he told me at that time left a major impression and it was like in the back of my mind kind of thinking like, man, is this ever could this ever come together all family members like possibly and you know and it really took until about, you know, 2 2 years later, season 3 in order for us to actually be able to do it. No, I def- I remember, yeah, when he, he said that, like, she could still be alive, it, that, like, haunted us. And, like, I think he mentioned, like, where she could be, you know, like, as right. well, or where, the family in which she could, uh, had joined, you know, and that was, like, yeah, really, really weird. Yeah, we'll definitely get into that for sure. Let's talk a little bit about... Uh... Robin for a minute. I thought she was one of the standout stars of this episode. You know, she comes off as so classy and, and happy and well-adjusted. I mean, she just feels like she could be everyone's aunt. And, Mm -hmm. uh, you've had a couple of figures like that. You know, Mrs. Pillman, Linda Pillman was just tremendous. Um, Evan, is it true that I know there's no time to talk about their whole life story in a setting like this, but I read once that Robin lost everything in hurricane Katrina. Do you know if that's true? Right. Uh, Howard would know mostly about yeah. that. Yeah. Well, it, well, it's interesting because Mike claims that he lost everything in Hurricane Katrina, um, but Mike uh, he di- didn't. Um, but Robin did. Like the pretty much the only thing she had was the belt. Like that's the thing she has left. Like we love getting photos, home videos. Like that really is what. And we did get some great ones from Richard in this episode, as everyone saw. But. Uh, yeah, we love getting that stuff. And when I asked Robin, she was pretty much like her. I live in Louisiana. Hurricane Katrina happened, completely destroyed my entire home and everything I owned. Yeah. And I got the belt and, you know, my shoes. And that's about it. So, yeah, she, she's I mean, that is a woman who has seen some tough times and she's every somehow comes out the better every time. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's yeah. And I'm, I'm, I'm glad you brought up Richard, too. Um, you know, Richard was just not somebody that was on our radar at all. You know, we didn't know, um, until he, we started, yeah. we didn't know he existed. Yeah. Until, until we, we started researching this story and uh, Howard, how, how did we first, how did Richard, was that through Robin? It was first came out. We we're like, I think we were researching it and there was like talk of maybe another brother somehow. Right. And I, I watched the first mention of Richard. I got for sure was in, I watched the uh, pick your poison, Jake, the snake DVD. And he does right. mention, he says the name Richard and he says, oh, yeah. like, just like a second of it. Like you definitely gloss over it otherwise. Um, and then once I spoke to Robin, it really was like, oh yeah, Richard, my brother, I see him all the time. We're going to Vegas <laughs> in two weeks. And like, right. it just really, and then we got in touch with him. But yeah, that was a really like, from, a, you know, like a span of two weeks of like, I don't know if this person is a real <laughs> existing human to, oh, here's his number. He is lives, you know, in Texas. He's a great guy. And Richard, yeah, I mean, it's kind of, it's definitely mentioned in the episode a couple times, but, you know, he is, uh, you know, he is a full, 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 full brother and sister to JoLynn and Jake. And he was given up for adoption, as it says in the episode, to, to, is it, is it Grizzly's? Sister. Uh, Sister, sister, right. Because they couldn't have kids. 
and so he was given up for adoption and but was sort of still around the family circle and and obviously he got became he was still very close with Joe Lynn and um and and kind of the, the the family unit but he didn't get into wrestling although he did tell us stories about kind of traveling with his dad and having to set up the ring and do do those things i think when he was in his early teens um but richard loki one of my favorite interviews of the entire season um everyone i think on our staff talks about richard a lot as just being like man he's straight out of like one of those shows you know like He's he's just the, the the way in which he speaks. You can almost hear kind of a Jake in him too, in like his delivery. I mean, everyone in this family are are you know amazing talkers, you know. Um, and Richard was just amazing, uh, super you know emotional interview, um, and especially when he talks about you know you know you know he he was you know he he definitely took care of his dad you know t- towards the end of his life. Um, and, and he really went into that talking about his dad, you know, dying from Alzheimer's and, and even Jake talked about trying to visit him and seeing him. And there was a really sad story about Grizzly. Like he was like, they were like rolling a ball back and forth to each other or something. And that was the only moment of connection that they had before he passed away. And, but, um, yeah, just a really, because obviously Richard has a very conflicting relationship. And I think Robin even, you know, talks about in the episode about how all the siblings were always kept apart kind of by Grizzly. That was kind of by design that, you know, nobody was to have a close, intimate relationship. And I think that the, those fragments existed to, to, like, exist to today. And I think that's kind of like why the siblings kind of found out about Robin's story late in life or found out about the truth about Joe Lynn or some other things, you know, and, and it was all the information was totally um, segmented, you know, f- fractured in that way. And I think that's what makes it complicated for someone like Richard who might not know everything, but yet is still his father's, you know, caretaker and how that's complicated for him, uh, you know, at the end of his life. Cause that's his dad, you know? Let's talk a little bit about, uh, some other rumor and innuendo. I brought up the whole Katrina thing. Do you guys know anything about Sam Houston's supposed music career? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. He, he did mention that he was shortly going to be signing with Rick Rubin after the interview. Oh, that's um, great. Congratulations yeah. to him. Yeah. <laughs> There's a good music video. I would recommend people look out for it's on YouTube. It's him in a cemetery. It's. Uh, it's an experience. What's it called again? Uh, I have to, I, I have it in my, yeah, you, you talk. Yeah. A little okay. Right. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, no, he, he's got, he's got some songs out there. Um, and, uh, that's kind of, I think his focus now, I think, great. I think, you know, I think that's his focus. I mean, look, he was, you know, Sam, Mike, you know, he was, he was super nice and, um, you know, you know, to us and, you know, I, I don't think he was as ready to confront, you know, as many of the things that, you know, uh, Robin, uh, or Jake or, uh, Richard were in the interview. Um, but you know, at the same time, I think, like I said, it's a little bit of a work in progress. Um, but he seemed to be doing really well. He looks really good. And, and, and also I think it was cool to, for us to be able to highlight, even, even though this is, you know, there's a lot to cover in this episode, it was cool to be able to highlight his talents, you know, and hearing Jim Cornette talk about Sam being, you know, maybe one of the best overall workers, you know, um, you know, in ring workers in the, in the family. And I I think you hear that, you know, from a lot of folks, uh, being a, being a hell of a hand as they say, um, you know, and, and that's, and that was cool to be able to feature, but you know, for my money as a kid, I mean, Jake's just 
prom- the promo and the psychology is just on an I, to me is on another level compared to ninety nine percent of other wrestlers. But um, like I, I actually sincerely think Jake could have gotten into acting. I think Jake could have been an incredible actor. Yeah. Um, I think that would have been. Uh, I, I could see him. You know, like I could see him in No Country for Old Men. I can see I him in these movies, you know, like 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 Charles Bronson. I could see him like, you know, doing that shit, you know, like Death Wish starring Jake the Snake. Please. <laughs> um, yeah. I tried. I, could, I tried to get him in my first movie. That's uh, right. The shotgun. Yeah, I, that's right. I, I wanted him to play the villain in it. This was in 2010. Um, and I actually reached out to him and he and. Um, it just it couldn't work out. I think in the end, I could only have uh, one out of uh, Canada actor, which was Rugger Hauer. Well, could you get then, him in Canada? I think that might have been. I think that might have been a problem too. I think I, yeah. but I, I wrote him. I wrote him, and I told him like because he he actually wrote me back a really nice email, and I wrote him saying, you know, I'm sorry, it's, it can't work out, and he was like, well, hopefully someday down the road, you know, we can do and something. here we are, and then, yeah. yeah, we did, so yeah. He, I just want to just briefly get back to Mike for a second, just to mention Sorry. that he, no, no, I just want to mention that Mike, like I would kind of laugh a little bit. He's, he's definitely a character. He has some pretty wild stories, but he does talk. It's not really in the episode, but like, he knows he he's been told later in life that he was used as bait for his father. And that was like mm. a thing he now knows and like understands and he knows what happened to his sister and but yeah, he says in the episode, my dad was Superman. And like everyone yeah. says he was so close with Grizzly. Grizzly took care of him in a way. And then like they lived together when they were like for a very long time afterwards in the 2000s. And that they were very, very close. And so the fact that he confronted it at all, it, like we owe a lot to, to Mike for that. But 100%. Yeah. And, and he I mean, they've all had their addiction problems. And Mike has been facing his for a long, long time. And like Nicola, who was married to him, has tell some pretty crazy stories about like him dealing with it or him not dealing with it. And like them, like they have daughters together and, you know, every day is a struggle for Mike. And the fact that he was yeah willing to open up really does mean a lot. Yeah. Totally. Mike said that um, he started drinking, like his first drinks were when he was seven years old and that it was his dad grizzly when he took him on the road um, to like help him get to bed at night. He gave him wine and stuff. So, you know, yeah. Just another yeah part of yeah. the that saga. saga. And then sort of one more thing, I just because I have it written down about Mike and Katrina because we were talking about it is that we kind of talk about how he does go to prison eventually for uh, the drunk driving, but um, he actually avoided prison for a long, long time. Finally, got a five-year sentence, uh, and then he was in for about two months, and then Katrina hit. And he got home like he got they sent him home. He was a nonviolent offender. So he managed somehow his luck to avoid oh, jail. Oh. And then about six months later, he got caught drunk driving again and served his full five years. Oh. But it is very like that I is see. kind of the life Mike has lived of just like he avoids like uh, uh, Robin, I think, said like, yeah, he can walk on in the rain without a, uh, an umbrella and doesn't get a drop on him. Like that's the life Mike has lived in this kind of bizarre life that isn't very relatable to most people totally absolutely yeah what would your family do with an extra one hundred and eight thousand dollars that's a problem that our listener jacob out in colorado has now thanks to savewithconrad.com he recently saved money with us over at savewithconrad.com gave us a five-star review and wrote this our previous mortgage company made each step of the process difficult 
but Jimmy took it in stride and made it happen. He was able to lock us in at one and a half percent less than we were at and saved us $108,000 over the life of the loan. Guys, that's unbelievable. Jacob saved more than 108 grand, but how much can you save? It's free to find out right now. You don't need perfect credit or money out of your pocket. And if we can't save you money, we won't waste your time. Find out how much money you can save right now for free at savewithconrad.com. NMLS number 65084, equal housing lender. And oh, by the way, did we mention no house payments for two months? And we're licensed in more than 40 states. So what are you waiting for? Start saving money today at savewithconrad.com. Hey, let's talk a little bit about Mike's life. Uh, we, as wrestling fans know once upon a time, he was tight with, uh, well, married to baby doll who we all mm-hmm. sort of became introduced to with Jim Crockett promotions on a big scale. And the, uh, their story has always been one that's been interesting with, uh, sort of behind the scenes machinations that existed with wrestling politics at the time with Crockett and McMahon, et cetera, et cetera. But I, I was really, I don't know taken aback by baby doll's testimony that, well, we just didn't think anything of it in regards to, uh, them being on the road, riding with Grizzly and Grizzly picking up young girls. And I realized that a lot of people would say, oh, it's a different time. And I also understand that the parents were waving in, in the recreation and and they were happy about it. And it felt like, oh, he's using his TV celebrity and it just adds a whole new layer, but I couldn't help but wonder you know, and Lord, I'm not trying to be ugly, but maybe Sam didn't pick up on it, but baby doll didn't think anything of it. That just came off as weird to me. What, what, what did you think of that, Evan? Well, I, you know, I, I think from what I've gathered, you know, obviously you're seeing just the snippets of her interview there. Um, but from the full breadth of the story there in that instance of, you know, basically what would happen is, you know, baby doll, Mike, Sometimes, you know, or sorry, and Grizzly would be driving to the next town, these long, long, long drives. Um, and uh, yeah, he'd take these like 20 minute detours and go pick up, you know, somebody's somebody's daughter and uh, the parents would be waving, you know, and, and not thinking anything of it, that this is just, you know, oh, this is, you know, Grandpa Grizz kind of coming, coming by and taking our daughter to the wrestling matches for the weekend and, you know, and, and, and all that stuff. And I think, you know, in... <sighs> from what we know about pedophiles like that, especially ones with celebrity status, um, I, I think that maybe not even, you know, it's, it's just the, the master manipulation to the point where, you know, you show up, who knows how long Grizzly had been grooming these families, you know, um, maybe the families, I think the families had come to the wrestling matches. That's where it started, you know, and something like that. Like he ingratiates himself to the families earns the trust to where you would not think anything else. And I think that it goes to show the lengths in which Grizzly would go and that he could make it seem like nothing was wrong or out of the ordinary. And baby doll also said that even in the, like in the back, you know, in like, in like the locker room or the back or at the matches or at the hotels or anything, it just didn't even still seem like it was nothing more than, a sweet old man wanting to just show this kid, bring him to, to the matches, you know? And I know that sounds crazy, but I think when you see like, uh, to use the Michael Jackson documentary, you know, um, uh, help me out. What's it called again? Uh, Neverland. 
No, leaving never. Leaving, leaving, That's the other movie. Yeah, 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 yeah. Leaving Neverland. I think it illustrates it quite well. Also, the 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 part of this is the seduction of you know. It's not just I'm going to show up someone's house and take their daughter. It is a long grooming process of not just seducing a victim but also the families are victims too because they're also under the spell of this person's manipulation that they are uh doing so i think obviously in our episode you're only getting to see it just for a few seconds but i think i'm sure the breath in which or just the lengths that he went to ingratiate himself and to make to keep up appearances it would be probably the last thing that you would ever think and and it's like in in hindsight as we're watching a documentary like leaving neverland and and they're like well why would they let the kids sleep in the bed and do you know or whatever all these other things it's easy for us now to be like well what the fuck you know i would you know but i think at, at in those moments in that time under the spell under the seduction it's just it's just a different thing and i and i i think then only later on in life you connect all the dots and you're like oh my god i can't believe i didn't see it at that time and that's what she was trying to convey is just that you know it it just the it was the last thing on your mind even if that's how insane you know it even seems you know that's that's how well he was at checking all the boxes making all the tracks covered and everything in order to do this and to pit all the siblings against each other and to make everyone had a story to tell basically he was that good at 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 at, at that he put it a good way to me when i talked to her which was that everyone was normal back then because no one was normal right so it's just like the people that she is surrounded by when she was coming up and she's like 21 or something like that and yeah there's characters and there's people doing weird stuff and odd behavior and and she, she told me that um, when she was, she first got up there, um, uh, when she first started off, uh, Tolly Blanchard asked her how old she was. And he knew she was uh, traveling with Grizz. And she said she was 21. And his response was, oh, okay, you'll be fine. But didn't like elaborate any further on that. Right. So it was just like things that now she looks back and being like, oh yeah, all those signs were all right there. But, you know, I was dating Mike and we were like this young lovers and you know everyone's having a fun time and you just like don't question things like that especially because Grizz was so respected like the most respected figure that right yeah so yeah he's her mentor at that at this point yeah. so you know she has a lot of respect and admiration for him so but he's yeah. working her you know he's he's manipulating yeah. all of them yeah 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 well let's uh Let's talk about the the weird thing that happened here. There's so much to unpack on this episode. It easily yeah. could have been a longer one, but a kidnapping story. That's a first for yeah. Dark Side Evan. Do we have anything else on this? <laughs> well, how much time we got, Conrad? Um so yeah, the Joe Lynn kidnapping story, uh we knew that I mean that was something that was really interesting to us like interesting to us, sorry, from, you know, beyond the mat and everything and 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 we knew it was going to be hard to fit everything in to this episode um but this this is there's a lot of interesting information about this case um in 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 terms of what actually went down so we we definitely had to kind of give the highlights the cliff notes but i i think we can expand upon it a little bit here um so the confusing thing i think about it is that you have you know joe lynn smith who is you know the sister to jake but then the person um, who was convicted for the kidnapping is named Phelan. So it's like Joe Lynn Phelan. It's a little confusing, but and they essentially both took their husband's ha- last name. So they're both Rogers. Oh, so it's Phelan right, Rogers. Right. It's Joe Lynn Rogers to add another level of confusion. Yeah. 
so it, it is confusing. But basically, the gist of the story is um, that yeah. So so Joe Lynn married this uh, this guy. His first name is Ted. 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 That's right. So Joe Lynn married Ted Rogers, who was I think twenty plus years older than she was, uh, um, older than Joe Lynn was, and um, what happened is. Uh, uh, so Ted was married before to Fay Lynn and uh, Ted started receiving uh, all these jealous, threatening letters from Fay Lynn, um, you know, out of jealousy because he, he married a younger woman. And that was what kind of, you know, Carl Buzz, you know, our uh, sheriff had, had told us we got to talk about him at some point. But he had he had uncovered um, at the scene of the crime that this was potentially a motivating factor. And then, Howard, there was like when they did the investigation investigating Phelan, there was like, you know, Carl says in the episode, there was a lot of overwhelming evidence pointing to her. So tell us a little bit about some of the overwhelming evidence. Yeah, so it's actually, uh, I like to, to explain it. Phelan was probably one of the most inept criminals that's ever, I've ever seen come across, but somehow did go forward with the crime. If you look at the Texas Rangers report, at the police reports, Fa- all the people that Phelan was close to, she worked with, friends, boyfriends, everyone basically says that she spent months talking about how I am going to kidnap my husband's, my ex-husband's new wife. I'm going to make her disappear. I'm going to take her in my car. I'm going to chloroform her. Like there are multiple people on record being like, yeah, she kept bringing this up to me. And I'd say, I don't want to be a part of this. Please leave me alone. And then she'd bring it up again. Or she'd like want to borrow my car to go drive to Tatum, Texas, to stand outside my, her ex-husband's trailer. And it's like, if you look at the evidence, I mean, the issue is that these people didn't go to the police. They just kind of told her to like, leave her alone, but right. leave them alone. But yeah, like there is enough there. And that's why she was uh, convicted very easily of aggravated kidnapping because like, they're, but, but not murder because all this information was there, but never a body. Yeah. And she also talked about how she was telling, she would even tell people that she wanted to make sure she did it over a holiday weekend. And the crime actually did, uh, I I believe, uh, was occurred over Thanksgiving, you know, weekend. And, and she worked at a medical institute, right? And, and that was at the University of Texas. Yeah. Yeah. At the University of Texas. Oh, wow. So yeah. So she worked at the University of Texas. And she was there, and there was also something that Carl uncovered, or one of the investigators um, uh, who was looking into the case at the time uncovered, is that she had just changed her tires, right? Like she had her tires were just changed when they when they finally caught up with her, when they started to look into her after they saw the the uh, threatening letters. So that's a little suspicious as well. And um, yeah, and 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 so basically how this went down is you know because there was a a a witness as well to this crime so another another thing which was covered in the episode but basically there was two people that assisted in the kidnapping and it's assumed i would say that you know in order to take someone of jolyn's size and stature down it was probably you know she was probably chloroformed and brought out to her car and then there was there was the guy who was the manager of the trailer park uh, the uh, that uh, jolyn was living in who basically saw heard commotion heard a woman scream and then he had he had he had seen he had kind of driven to her trailer and had seen jolyn actually lying on the ground uh, and 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 an unidentifiable figure standing next to her, and then he was kind of circling, I think, around the trailer park. And Carl 
uh, Gage, the sheriff, actually took us to where that trailer park was in Tatum, Texas. It's no longer there. It's a, it's a very nice residential area now. But he actually took us, so we saw where this actually happened. And so then uh, they got Joe Lynn in the car, and in the trunk of the car, and then the car took off, and then the trailer park manager tried to actually chase and and tail this car, but actually lost them eventually. And that's when he came back, found Carl Gage, the sheriff, and told him. And that's what started the investigation of this whole thing. And then when Fay Lynn actually gets, you know, she gets arrested and she she actually confesses to the crime, but she never gives up an accomplice. Oh, no, she doesn't confess to the crime. Be a very big oh. point. She is adamant that she, that Joe Lynn, she went to Joe Lynn to confront Ted. That is what she says. And, uh, uh, right. but she came in the car of her own volition. Um, and in the Texas Rangers report, they literally write, right. it is obvious that she is lying, but refuses to change her story, which is pretty wild to see in a, t- in a police report. But, right. Um, yeah. And yeah, so she gets the kidnapping charge, but she never, but the, nobody ever identifies another accomplice. There was never another accomplice mentioned. And of course, there's no body, so they can't go for the murder charge, as we talked about in the episode. And uh, so that leaves all these question marks. And one thing that is key also, and we talk about, is how Grizzly shut everyone else out of this investigation from the family side. So there were many, many uh, searches, you know, helicopters, dogs, motorcycles, as he talks about, people going out to look for Joe Lynn all across Texas and Tatum and the surrounding areas. And the kids weren't allowed to be a part of it. The kids weren't allowed to be part of the uh, court case. He kept it all, you know, just uh, to him dealing with it. And one of the things, and he didn't really tell his kids about Phelan at all. Yeah. Right. So, and 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 that existed all the way until their adult lives, like like till what? Maybe even semi recently. Yeah, but Robin believed Grizzly probably was behind this until it was our friend P.I. Jim Terry, the kayfabe detective, as he calls himself. He he is responsible right. for letting Robin know that, like, no, Grizzly, they're, like, this woman, Faye Lynn, is here. And, like, even, like, beyond anything that. But, yeah, like, until he told her, he thought Grizz, she thought Grizzly was behind it in some capacity. And then Richard talks about, you know, not seeing, you know, Grizzly emotional about the disappearance of yeah. Joe Lynn and, 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 and all that stuff. So there's just a lot of questions, you know, um, and I think that, you know, it's, it's probably unlikely that Grizzly has something to do with the kidnapping. But, well, I, I don't know. I'm just going to say I, my I'd own. Say, fine, go, you go ahead. But I'll, I'll, I have my own opinion. <laughs> okay, I want to hear your opinion. But I, I okay, maybe unlikely is too strong. Yeah. But I think that he's even potentially a suspect in the eyes of his own children. I think goes to show you tells us tells of uh, you know that tells a story in and of itself. But go on, Howard. Yeah, no, it, it just Robin was really interesting because it's like there's no reason for her to ever believe that he. Why wouldn't he be behind this? Like it makes complete sense that why would like she as we see in the episode she had just had this uh, conversation with Joe Lynn where it seems like she's about to come clean that Grizzly also right. abused her. Um, right. She disappears. Like who has Robin told me like who has the most to lose for if Joe Lynn started talking and it's Grizzly it would destroy his life. And you know, like all the evidence totally points to him being behind it until you f- figure out that there was this woman who completely separate from everything else going on, wanted to kidnap this woman that she didn't know and spoke to people about it. She said specifically, I am going to kidnap this woman. She had never met Grizzly. Like, 
it's it's funny it's not funny but it's it's bizarre to think that like it there's no reason to ever imagine that it would be anyone but grizzly behind it until you find out about Feilin and all this very much documented evidence that she planned it she bought chloroform she bragged about buying chloroform bragged about That's right. trying to pay convicts to help her take her to Mexico where she would never be found again um and, and then baby doll actually told me how grizz um when they would travel to Texas and Louisiana, he would like drop them off and then he would just drive around and search swamps. Like he would literally be off on his own, randomly searching, trying to find Joe Lynn. So like, and is that to maybe find her so she wouldn't talk? Like that's a different work. thing. Yeah, but it's, yeah, work. there's a lot of questions. Yeah, definitely. It's, it's, it's just like I, I, I watching the episode back last night when that act break, that commercial break hits where it's like, and then she was kidnapped. You know, it's just like, what? You know, it's just like it, it takes your breath away in terms of like that. This is also part of this very, very, very traumatic saga of the of the whole Smith family. And Howard, tell us about Richard's trip to Tatum as well, because that's yes. one thing, too, I think that's kind of interesting about this, because the kids were never allowed to look into it, but they started to look into it much later in life. And and and, and, and what happened there? Yeah, that was to me, that's like the the biggest thing I wish we could have gotten the episode, but because we have a certain amount of time, we couldn't. And it's that in 1998, Richard was on a trip, family trip to Florida, went to Disney world. And then on the way home, they were, could drive through Tatum, Texas. And he decided to drive through there and he went to the trailer park. He went to the newspaper office and read the newspapers. And then he actually met the sheriff um, of the, the, the Tatum sheriff department isn't there, but like the local sheriff, um, for the area and he had Joe Lynn's picture on his wall and Richard, he told Richard that he wasn't going to take it down until the case had been solved. And then Richard told us that he actually has that picture on his bedroom wall now, which is pretty wild. Yeah. Yeah. Well, let's, uh, there's so much to unpack here. I feel like we could talk about this particular subject forever, but I do want to highlight the sheriff. I felt like he came (laughs) off as a unique character in the dark side history. Uh, what can you tell (laughs) us about the sheriff interview? (laughs) <laughs> well, um, Howard, I mean, yeah, it was, he was, he was found by our, our, our boy. Yeah. Jim Terry tracked him down. He, <laughs> well, it's hard. It, like, it's funny. Cause so his, his name's Carl Gage, but he goes by OT storm and buzz. Like he has a couple like fun. He does like cowboy recreations. He's a great guy. He's awesome. And he, um, well, he yeah. also is on TV shows. It's like extra. He's like, he's like, uh, he, he told us he does, uh, he does like, yeah, he does TV shows and they come to town and they need someone who, you know, looks, looks like, like him. him. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, and, and he shows up. Yeah. He's great. But he like, yeah, he was 29 and the first ever sheriff of this small, he basically told me how like all of the surrounding areas um, had like sheriff departments and criminals. And then they all ended up like pushing everyone eventually to Tatum. So, <laughs> which is in the middle. And so he was this sheriff of this small area and he, um, like they'd never had a kidnapping or a murder before. And he just said, yeah, like uh, the way he put it to me was that it was a not a great year for the city of Tatum. Um, very quickly, there's another story he told me about how, I, I believe it was after the kidnapping, uh, there mm-hmm. were some convicts that escaped a prison and were hiding out in Tatum. And a sheriff from another co- county came to help with the search. And as he was getting off the helicopter, um, it chopped the top of his head off and killed him. Whoa. So like, yeah. This is, yeah, small town, wow. Texas, never dealt yeah. with this kind of thing. 29. And now there's like a kidnapping. There's a guy getting his head chopped off and this. Yeah, he, he saw a lot in one year. 
I can't he, imagine being 29 years yeah. old and being the sheriff of a town. No. Like, no. Like, yeah, you don't even have your full life figured out at that point. Well, like, they, yeah. they, made, they made people differently, I think, back then. But he, <laughs> he so also... Crazy. Yeah, he 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 was such a character, and he took us all around town. He showed us where his little, you know, he, he had his sheriff's office. I mean, it was so the small, yeah. tiny little room in the back of another building. That's that's where he operated all this out of. He took us, like I said, to the trailer park and, and showed us the grounds and showed us the drive in which the guy had chased, uh, you know, uh, after Lin's car and 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 all that stuff. And it was just like that that experience. I think for us, like. You know, when we were shooting this episode, we're just really, you know, caught up in this unsolved mystery. I mean, this, it, I mean, that's what this is, you know, and, and we, yeah, it was just an amazing experience. And he's such a character. He's right out of, like I said, No Country for Old Men earlier. I mean, you could definitely see him in that, in that, in that movie as well. I mean, he was such a character and he, he, he had brought his sort of, uh, his, uh, uh, scrapbook from his career, you know, of all the things that have, you know, all the newspaper headlines and things, and, and, and a large majority of it was uh, dedicated to the Joe Lynn case, which was a very important one in, in, in his life. And, 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 and of course, we can't mention the fact that, you know, he, he, he went to such lengths to investigate the disappearance of Joe Lynn that even psychics uh, were uh, considered at that time <laughs> to find uh, two different psychics. And, you know, I think one thing that also gives it some, you know, more, you know, uh, like eerie vibes is that is that both psychics came up with the same conclusion, uh, which was you know a uh, Joe Lynn could have been in a dark, you know like like all they saw was darkness, you know, and so I don't know if that's like a, a regular psychic gimmick thing, but you know <laughs> still a little a little little eerie. Yeah, he well he said, and I think it's in the episode that he says that he believes that she was put in the incinerator, and that's right. Like, and it's I think everyone kind of mm-hmm. believes that's what happened because it's the only thing that really makes sense that since so there was it happened over Thanksgiving there was a big storm that happened the next two days so it really made finding evidence a lot harder but like given the amount of effort that was put in helicopters planes dogs horses like there were guys on horses going around Texas and Louisiana trying to find Joe Lynn and nothing was ever found and kind of the only thing that makes sense was that they had access to an incinerator no one was in the school and that's why we could never ever find anything. And one more thing on that too is uh, the kayfabe private detective, uh, our boy again. He uh, also, you know, he believed, or maybe still believes. I'm not exactly sure, but he also talked uh, when, when we spoke during season one that you know Joe Lynn is still alive. Um, and I believe, correct me if I'm wrong, but Faye Lynn's story was that um, wasn't it that 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 Joe Lynn had escaped the car, right? And yeah. she or, or or had gotten out of the car. Sorry, and I almost ran into escaped, the woods and and ran into like a pasture or something, and yeah. saw her running off into a pasture. She had gotten out of the car, and that was the last time Phelan had seen Joe Lynn. And uh, the thing about that is, I believe that Joe Lynn had just broken her foot or her ankle or something, so which would have been pretty much near impossible for her to do. Um, she was on at, crutches at that time. She was on yeah. She was basically on crutches, right, right. Which is another way that they probably could have you know gotten her into the car you know, or, or subdued her more easily. But, um, one of the things that, you know, uh, that James Michael Terry had told us was that, you know, he had researched, I don't remember exactly, but he had researched and found someone that could be Joe Lynn today. Like this person didn't have a social security number. And I can't remember exactly the, the evidence that he had, but he was convinced at least at one point in time that Joe Lynn was still very much alive. Um, and that, 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 that she had basically, you know, 
kidnapped herself or d- disappeared and you know wanted to escape you know her her you know the grizzly and all this other stuff but the thing is that would mean you'd have to believe that even after her you know she she had moved on in life she had her own trailer she's married she has a kid that she would have to have left her screaming child behind in order to make herself disappear so i don't know well, to that's me that's Rich- a little and that's what richard says sorry richard was very clear of like she would never, ever have left her child. Like, no matter what, like, if she was to escape, if we're going to believe that, which is like, there's a very good reason to believe it, she would not have left her child alone in a trailer. Her husband was out at work. Like, it just wouldn't have been the case. Yeah, fit the story. Yeah. 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 One thing, too, that's, like, sobering that you see is that, like, with the, when you uh, show the tomb, her tombstone, yeah, and it Mm. doesn't, like, say her death. It just, it says that she, you know, she's kidnapped. Yeah, born on this date and then kidnapped on this date. Yeah. 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 And just one last thing on Faye Lin was that, so she passed away a couple years ago and um, we did end up tracking down the last place she worked, which was, it was an air conditioner repair place in Dallas. And we were like kind of, this was before we found out that she had passed away. We found this place and then on their website, there's photos of all the employees and it's like the secretary and the whatever people who, the fixers. And then all of them have very clearly photos of them, except for Fei Lin, where it's a clearly stock photo of a woman like at a filing cabinet. And it's like everyone else is smiling towards the camera. And this is like, it's yeah, like the most fake photo ever. And it's just like, oh, yeah, this is, yeah, clearly the woman who's, you know, trying to hide after what she did. Because we couldn't find any photos or video clips of her. So we tried. We tried really, really hard. Yeah. Yeah. So chat me up a little bit about, uh, Grizzly Smith. Uh, I believe he's since passed away and, um, you know, it's weird because sometimes people say in moments like this, oh, he left a complicated legacy. I don't think he did. I think he was a big piece of shit. Is that unanimous? <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, I, I, I don't know. I mean, obviously, yeah. Like, you know, all, all the accusations, in this episode from everyone's testimony are, are, are pretty horrific. You know, when, 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 when Robin says that, you know, to many, he was, he was their hero to me. He was my monster. That's kind of the thing that really, you know, uh, I think stayed with me the most in terms of, you know, that, and just looking at the depth of all this too. I think, I think the most horrific scene in the whole show is the scene when, um, Grizzly comes to visit Robin with the nine-year-old girl and asks her to make her a daiquiri. I think that's, that's you know for like no pun intended that's the most grisly thing in the in the episode you know and it's just it's just it's just horrifying and 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 kudos to robin you know um for for saving that girl and 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 really stepping in and questioning her and finding the same behavior um and you know one thing too is like you know obviously there's that that little archival clip of grizzly talking about his father you know he talks about being beaten by his father and who knows if that's, you know, a part of a kayfabe thing or if that's, if that, if that's a real shoot. But I, I, I would imagine also that, I mean, in cases like this, it, it is a cycle, you know, and I'm sure that Grizzly came from probably a very abusive home and either was physically abused in many ways or potentially sexually abused. And I think it is probably a cycle that unfortunately just, you know, keeps revolving in around. And I'm not trying to excuse any of the behavior, of course, but I, I think it's something that we should, as viewers, uh, you know, who, who can't, you know, relate in, in ways that, that, you know, this is a part of 
you know, how, how these things come to be, you know, yeah. usually. And I'm, and I'm sure that that was part of it, you know, as well. Also, think, too, go ahead. the kids share their stories about how he, like, after matches back in the day, he'd come yeah. home and he'd work the kids. You know, he made the kids believe that, you know, he was in real danger and that wrestlers were coming into town to get revenge on him. And, like, and, you know, when he, he would he would juice in the ring, he, made, he just played that out to be as if he was, like, severely getting injured and putting his life on the line for his family. And that kind of... I can only imagine that that kind of trauma that brought those kids like, mm. and you know, that's something too, again, in this world of wrestling, like um, it's, it's, uh, it's unique to that where, you know, the wrestlers are using their performance and the, uh, and the gimmick to, you know, work their own families and their own children. Um, that I think speaks a lot to the kind of person he is. Yeah. And for the kids, like he was, a very over baby face like back in the day like he was part of a big tag team they would go and they would like win over crowds and like the kids that's what they grow up seeing is like and robin says like i don't want to destroy a legacy and like there is the like art versus artist thing that will be explored next week's episode um but yeah mm-hmm. that like i don't think grizzly like i mean there's a couple things like his style of wrestling isn't one that like people think about fondly these days so it's a lot easier to only focus on the horrible things it's not like a i mean to compare to another episode very different thing but like chris benoit is one of the greatest wrestlers of all time and it's like you see him in the ring and you're like this is incredible and grizzly gives people bear hugs and has like a a a bell that he rings because he was playing like a hillbilly character so i think it's easier for modern fans and people who didn't grow up with that to just only or ultimate warrior for christ's sake yeah 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 and again, I, I'm on the side that this is a good thing that we're not caring that he was a popular wrestler at the time and that that's overlooked. But I think it's easier because he wasn't this like generational talent. He was a guy who was popular at a time before any of us were born. Yeah. Had we had time, more time, I think it, it would have been good to show a little bit more of it, like just, you know, to show the kind of stature that he was, you know, like he would, you know, he had matches against Anoki and stuff. So like, like that and how that would play into him being able to manipulate these families. Like, well, you know, he was a celebrity in all of, all yeah. of Texas, Louisiana, everywhere. Everybody yeah. knew who Grizzly Smith was. He was a hometown hero. Kind of like I can relate it to like growing up in Minnesota, how everyone knows Vern Gagne's name. Like everybody knows Vern Gagne or the Gagne family in Minnesota, unless you were born, you know, in the last 20 years. But you know, everywhere at that time, everybody knew Grizzly Smith. I mean, as he he was a known known figure in that part of the world, especially at that time, and even up until the '80s. And then, of course, he became you know he became a very respected agent. Uh, it's kind of maybe they, I don't even think they had that term <laughs> necessarily back in in uh, mid south. Maybe they did. I don't know. But you know, he that's kind of like he was like a road agent, and he was very well respected, and he was kind of the authority figure as well. He was the guy that if you were late. If you, you know, fucked up, if you were caught with some shit you shouldn't have been caught with or whatever, he was the authority figure that was going to penalize you in some way or the guy you had to be afraid of because he was seven foot feet tall and he would come looking for you and scold you if you did something wrong. So he really was kind of the the, the real trusted uh, authority in that time, too. And then the, the thing that's crazy is that when Baby Doll says that there was a time when all of them worked at the WWF at the same time as well. And the fact that just that, like, you know, the fact that that was never exploited into anything too is is like into a storyline or anything tells you a lot too in terms of just that that family not being like close like any of these other families in wrestling are. 
Yeah, you'd also think too, like that Grizzly got all his kids like into wrestling, but it's like he tried to keep them away from it, and they all went their own paths to get into wrestling for the most part. Right. Yeah. Well, let's uh, let's try to put a bow on this. This has been an interesting conversation, but uh, before we get out of here, we've got to sort of give some props and some shout outs to the folks who made this episode possible. Jason, can you help us with that? Uh, well, first I definitely want to give a big shout out to, uh, Jason cook, our editor, um, who, um, yeah, he's yeah. Big time, big time class for him. Uh, (laughs) I don't know what we do without him. Uh, but yeah, Jason cook, uh, he, uh, just for those that are listening who are familiar with the show, Jason cook edited the Chris Benoit two part, uh, episode. He edited the Owen Hart episode, um, and he, he did edit North the North, Korea. yeah, North Korea, and 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 uh, this is the hit the other episode he's edited, and he's working on the steroid trials right now. So he is, um, yeah, he's he's amazing. He's a, he's just you know he he's he, he's been with us he, for a while now. He's super 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 talented, devoted, passionate, pours everything every ounce of his soul into the show. He works nonstop. He doesn't sleep. There are no such thing as weekends to Jason Cook. Um, he is yeah. the man, and we and we can't thank him enough for like the dedication that it takes to to make something to pull this off. Because I mean. It's tough. You got to tell a sweeping story in 44 minutes and man, he, he pulls it off. You know, he definitely and there pulls was, it off. And there's enough material in what we had for, I, I would say a full season of a like Netflix documentary. <laughs> yeah, show, yeah. Like, and to totally. get that into 44 minutes is a, yeah, it's an art form. It's an he art form. So in much itself. passionate into, into it. And to the point, like you, I could tell like the subject matter of this episode, like is having an effect on him because he, he, he is so emotionally involved into the, into these episodes so yeah he would say he would say to me like man like you know i gotta wake up and go back into this world every day like you're in this world you know for months and it's like uh you know and so i also thank you jason cook for you know (laughs) having the strength to live through this very difficult story for 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 months at a time um the other person I want to shout out, uh, especially here, because I think it's also some of his best work on the show, is Andrew Gordon McPherson. We always talk about our composer, but man, the music in last night's show is, I think, extraordinarily uh, on another level, um, just in terms of that amazing banjo theme. Oh, it's amazing. It. Yeah. Just the, 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 like that, those rock and riffs with the like string accompaniment too like like jake's theme when we start talking about jake the snake and that that theme that plays it's just unbelievable so that's the soundtrack that i'm rocking when i'm walking on the streets is 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 that stuff because it's 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 so damn good like really yeah. like we Especially we do not deserve... that, that track with jake uh the buster song where yeah <laughs> yeah like when his brother richard introduces him and then you see jake like walk out and that track that's playing it's like one of my favorite songs that we've done for the sound for all of dark side's soundtracks Totally. Uh, I just want to say that our Jake the Snake recreate actor, I feel like is the most close to a person we've like physically, like visually, like it just looks like he could, like he should be Jake's body double for like any acting (laughs) gigs. It's wild how much that guy looks like Jake the Snake. And he was a character and a half, wouldn't he? Oh, Oh, he was such a character. He's in the Johnny Canine episode. And I I think I'm going to save my stories for him when we get to that, (laughs) that episode. Oh, it's the best. It's the best. Yeah. Got to shout out the road crew. Um, You know, my uh, RV brothers, um, uh, Andy Appel, our DP, and Dan Tamizian, um, our, our our camera operator extraordinaire, Swiss Army knife man. Um, 
uh, crazy experience, obviously, traveling the road with those guys, you know, making the show. I think shortly around the time we were filming this episode, I actually cut the tip of my finger off uh, while we were somewhere in Wyoming and had to put up with my crazy ass uh, during that whole escapade. But um, I do remember filming Richard's interview, and this is just showing you the time in which we were making the show. I remember we showed up to the Airbnb, and I was like, good Lord. And we booked this Airbnb that had, like, literally a like 50 foot Trump flag erected on the top of the actual Airbnb. I was like, great. And like, I was like, do I have to climb on this roof to take this thing off? Or like when our interview subject like shows up, like, what are they going to think that we purposely booked this Trump fortress? to (laughs) So how's our interview in? And it's like, Jesus Christ. So I I think, come on, like that, that, that shouldn't be allowed in an Airbnb setting. But anyway, um, that was quite humorous. But yeah, Andy and Dan are always the ones that are, uh, you know, just, yeah, part of the whole crazy misadventures of filming the show on the road and can't do it without you guys. And of course, you know, Andy and Dan killing it on the reenactments. I actually think, guys, and also congratulations to you, Jason. I think this is actually probably my favorite set of reenactments for the whole show because I think you, you guys really captured the period really well. I think it really feels like Texas in the 70s, but like in our weird sort of dreamy style. So I think that's awesome. Um, yeah, Howard Brody, let's shout out. Thank you, Howard, for you know helping us to make this story like happen and, and introducing us to Robin and 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 uh, and, and all that. Couldn't have done that without you. Uh, James Michael Terry, thank you, even though we've kind of had fun, some fun here today. <laughs> but you are a lot of big part of the inspiration, you know, for making this thing happen. So, right? I mean, I Oh, have yeah. To. And he, he got us. Yeah. He, he definitely put a lot of work into it. And we really appreciate that 100%. Yeah. Yeah, of course. Of course. So thank you very much for that. And David Bixenspan, uh, you know, worked with us and did a lot of research on this episode as well, looking into... Um, everything with uh, the Fei Lin uh, saga, the Joe Lin saga. I mean, he went really deep to find um, a lot of the articles and the newspapers around the time, talking to people, uh, right, Howard? Police I mean, reports, yeah. Like, police reports, it, it, yeah. It's just like a really complicated web of like, not just like the family, like who's, like Richard was given to this sister, who is that? Is she still, like just there's like genealogy aspects that David was really good at unpacking. And then also, yeah, police reports, figuring out those small details that really, um, yeah. really went a long way to get us to where we needed to be. This, this episode was a haul, man. I mean, th- th- this was, there, there was a lot of, a lot going on into this and uh, in order to pull this one off. So thanks to the rest of our team for, uh, you know, making this one. Uh, thanks to you, Howard Sheffman and your no acting problem. skills. Yeah. Cool. Without you. And thanks, Dwayne Johnson, for spreading the word. Also, it's really willing quickly, our story editor, Joanne, yes. uh, oh. who did, yeah, big one. So, but put her aside, Jason Cook, with all of this. She did an incredible job on, again, huge story, and story editor has to get that down to the important parts, and she did an unbelievable job. So Yeah, jo- Joanne is, is, is super, super integral to the, to, to the show. She also uh, story edited the Brian Pillman episodes, yeah. and, and she just devoted herself you know, to both of, both of these stories and just got fully immersed. Wasn't much of a wrestling fan before getting into this and then just do- dove way in and um, was able to pull out all the emotional moments of both of these stories and help make sense and string together and yeah it's just absolutely amazing so thank you to everyone there and i think that's my list of thanks <laughs> well let's talk briefly about what we can expect next week i uh i'm pretty excited about this jason tell us what's on deck yeah next week we've got the episode on uh, dynamite kid um which has been something we've thought about doing since the creation of this episode yep. 
or the show. Um, you know, it's always been a highly requested uh, topic and had been something that we've been just waiting to have the right time to do it and getting the right access to do it. We really wanted his family involved. And I, and I think, you know, some of our other work uh, previously has really helped kind of open the doors to be able to tell the story in the way that we have. So, yeah, it's a, again, it's another it's another really heavy episode. Um, oh, yeah. And if, you, if you're familiar with the, the story of Dynamite Kid, he was someone who was so inspirational to the wrestling world. He inspired so many wrestlers uh, and kind of cha- changed the style, uh, the oh, yeah. style of wrestling. And, um, and But he has this, like, checkered past and this uh, past with his family that has made his, like, legacy very complicated. And it's been hard to kind of figure out, like, where... Um, you know how to deal with your fandom with the dynamite kid so it's um yeah it's going to be um it's 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 going to be another hard watch but it's um i'm very very proud of this episode and i think it turned out great um and yeah. very um you know the the fa- his family uh his wife and two daughters come together to tell their story and what they went through um and how they uh deal with you know his legacy is um it's it's really fascinating yeah and um yeah i mean f- for me for my money i'm sure we'll talk about this you know next week but uh man dynamite kid and tiger mask it, it's hard to actually see better wrestling yep. i think in my in my opinion i don't think it's really hard to come up with something that's better than that um uh i mean a few things come to mind but it's a very small list you know and and or even up maybe not better but up in that same conversation and um yeah it's it's you can really see the birth of what we know today as modern wrestling kind of started way back then in the in the early 80s with yeah. those guys and um you know the dynamite kid is you know i think uh, a a a figure that's been largely forgotten uh in terms of you know today's fandom and i think we'll i think you know th- th- there's many reasons for that and our episode looks in looks in uh into that and howard also worked also yeah. super howard super howard i almost <laughs> said you worked super howard on this episode as well digging in to all of this and 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 working with the billington family so we i think we have to have you back next week as well yeah. as long as conrad approves that of course come um on. i mean if you want to hear some uh, I, I i do not mind throwing wayne hart under the bus so if you want to hear some oh, no. good wayne hart stories bring me back next Whoa. week that, that's my tease whoa shots fired um no wayne hart's a is a very nice man i, ah. I don't know what you're talking about um so uh okay uh well i think uh, i think that that about does it um but yeah very looking forward to everyone checking out the dynamite story again you know this isn't gonna be our usual approach of okay dynamite won the belt here and then did this and then in 19 you know so remember our show isn't about the belts and the dates uh it's gonna be all about the 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 emotions of the family and the legacy and that's what we're really talking about next week so that's just my little preamble no belts and dates guys um and oh no there there uh, is one talk of belt and one talk of date but that's okay there's one belt and one date for y'all talk about them winning the belts that's (laughs) it you'll get one belt and one date to to be excited (laughs) about um but that's it no belts and no dates okay thank you guys so much and uh thanks conrad this was this was great to be able to let us get all this out uh, on this on this Grizzly Smith episode. So much there to talk about. Absolutely. Appreciate the time. And uh, Evan, I think you need to send us home with one good throat clearing, if that's okay. <coughs> we'll be- I don't believe that. I don't believe that. All right. <coughs> okay. That was good. 
that was weak. That was weak. We'll be back next week to hear Evan clear his throat more and talk about Dynamite Kid right here on Dark Side of the Podcast. Savewithconrad.com makes saving money fast and easy. Just ask Lindsay in Wisconsin. He left us a five-star review and said, super easy refi, probably easier than when we did this four years ago with a local credit union. Find out how easy it is right now yourself at savewithconrad.com. NMLS number 65084, equal housing lender. And oh yeah, you don't need perfect credit or money out of your pocket at savewithconrad.com. John brings his skewed sense of humor. Jeff brings tips to cut strokes off your next round. Together, it's those weekend golf guys. They'll pay a lot of money to PXG and Titleist and Callaway and on and on and on. Right? How many yards do you think you're going to pick up with that extra driver? I think I can get an extra 5 to 10. What if I give you 15 to 20? <laughs> you pay me more. Jeff Smith right? teaches on the sliding scale. <laughs> those weekend golf guys, the podcast, part of the Believe Network. Just search B-L-E-A-V on YouTube or wherever you listen.